So we're starting a new sermon series today on 1 Peter, and we're calling this sermon series 1 Peter, The Gift and Power of Living Hope. The Gift and Power of Living Hope. This is crucial for us to be studying because every human being, every one of us in this room is hoping in something. Every human being has something they're looking forward to that they think is going to secure their joy, satisfy their hearts. There's something out there. Every human being lives by hope in something all the time. So how can you tell what it is that you're hoping in? Well, ask yourself, what are you most excited about right now as you look ahead to your future? What is it that you're most thrilled about, most eagerly expecting? That's what you're hoping in. That is your hope. That's what it is. For some of you, you might be planning your summer vacation, so you're getting excited about where you're going this summer. Others of you might just like need a job. You're putting your hope in getting a job. Maybe it's getting married. Whatever it might be, every human being always is living by hope in something. Every one of us here has something that we are hoping in right now. And in today's passage, Peter's going to tell us that through Jesus, God has given each of us a hope that is far better than any hope this world can offer. Powerful, powerful passage. So let's look at 1 Peter. Turn there. It'll be up on the screen here also. This morning we're looking at 1 Peter 1, verses 1 through 9. And as you look at this passage, you can see that the first two verses are an introduction And so what is Peter's main point in his introduction? We don't just want to skip over these words. Remember, we saw last week that all Scripture is God-breathed. Every word in the Bible is the very words of God. So we want to take these two verses seriously and say, what is Peter's main point in this introduction? Look at what he says. Start in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now let's just pause right there. So who's Peter? You know who Peter is. He's the one who denied Christ three times. Remember that story? He's the one then who preached on the day of Pentecost to thousands of people and 3,000 people came to faith in Christ that day. This is Peter. And he says he's an apostle. Crucially important because as an apostle, that meant that he was an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. He saw him alive from the dead. And as an apostle, he was gifted by Jesus to speak and write perfect truth from God, which is why we're studying his letter. This isn't just a man's writings, it is that, but a man through whom God used to bring us the exact words of God here in this letter of 1 Peter. Keep reading. Verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, It's not the way you would describe people every day. So Peter's carefully crafted this for a particular reason. They are elect exiles of the dispersion. Let's just take each of those. They're elect. That's referring to the fact that when they were saved, it didn't start with them. They were running from God, but God had chosen from before the foundation of the world because of what Jesus would do in pure mercy to save them. So their salvation didn't start with them. Their salvation doesn't rest on them. It rests on God's choice. Solid, secure foundation for their salvation. That's what it means to be elect. That would have humbled them. This is all because of you. 
It sort of strengthened them. You've chosen me. I can rest on you. And this sort of glorified God before them. So they were elect. And then he says they are exiles of the dispersion. Now, that word exile is used later on. I think it's in chapter 2, verse 11. And it's clear that Paul means by exile, not like they were exiled from some country here on earth, but they were exiles away from their home in heaven. Heaven's their home. They are here as exiles. You might maybe use the word expats. Okay, that's, that's who they are. And they're longing for heaven and, and they're suffering here. That's the implication of the word. And they are dispersed, which simply means, as Peter mentions, that they were spread throughout Pontus, Galatia. In fact, let's get the map up here so you can see where these places are. So here's, it's modern-day Turkey. They were spread throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So Peter's writing to churches spread throughout modern-day Turkey. He's writing it around the year 60 A.D., and they are suffering for their faith. And look at how he encourages them in verse 2. This is sweet. He says, they're elect exiles of the dispersion, taking that verse from verse 1, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So yes, they are here as exiles. They're not home in heaven, but they are not alone here. Notice that each member of the Trinity is involved in their present circumstance. Their suffering as exiles, it's according to God's foreknowledge. God knew this, God planned this, God's in control of this. They can trust him. Isn't that powerful? Not only that, their suffering as exiles is in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit which means that it's part of the Holy Spirit's work to sanctify them, to draw them to Christ, to free them from sin, to increase their joy in the Lord. All this suffering is part of the Holy Spirit's sanctifying work. Great joy in Christ is coming as a result of this. Not only that, their suffering as exiles is for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. What's their purpose while they're here on earth? to obey Jesus Christ. That's their purpose, obedience to Christ. That's their purpose, that's their passion. But their salvation doesn't depend upon their obedience, it depends upon them being sprinkled with Jesus' blood. They're forgiven by faith alone in Christ alone. So their obedience, built on the rock-solid foundation of his grace, the sprinkling, the cleansing, the forgiving work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. Can you feel how that would have encouraged believers who are longing for heaven and suffering here for their faith. Peter wants to encourage them with this. So you be encouraged with this. What this means is whatever you're going through in your life right now, and I'm sure some of you are going through some deep waters right now, whatever you're going through in your life, it has been planned by God's foreknowledge. He's in control. You can trust him. The Holy Spirit is using it, whatever you're going through right now, to sanctify you, to draw you closer to Christ, to give you even more joy in Him. You can trust Him for that. And your purpose in this difficult time you're going through is to obey Jesus Christ. That's your purpose. And when you're weak, when you stumble, you'll be forgiven by His sprinkled blood, and the the foundation you rest on is not your obedience, but His grace and mercy purchased through the cross. 
God's foreknowledge, the Spirit's sanctifying work, in obedience to Christ and being sprinkled by His blood. What an encouraging opening to a letter to suffering people. So be strengthened, be encouraged by those first two verses. Now, let's move to verses 3 through 9 then. And we want to ask the question, what is Peter's main point here? We've been talking over the last few weeks that, that every author of a teaching passage, this is a teaching passage, he's not describing events that happened, he's communicating truths here. Every author of a teaching passage always gives us clues to show us what his main point is. And one of the most clear clues is commands. Whenever a command is given, that's a main point in a teaching passage because that's what the author wants you to do based on everything that he is saying. So let's read through verses 3 through 9 and see if we can find any commands here. Now, let me just give you a little warning. There is a command here. Okay, spoiler alert. There is a command here, but it's not easy to see. It's a, it's a little bit hidden, but let's read through, see if we can find a command in this passage. Start with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, Jesus Christ, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What a passage. This is so encouraging. Now, we've we got to figure out the main point. So did you see where the command was? I think it's the first two words of verse 3. Blessed be. Now, some versions put verse 6 as a command, rejoice. Uh, that's not how the original reads. That's somebody's interpretation of that. Verse 3, blessed be, that's clearly a command. Let me explain why. If, if I was to say to, to all of you, blessed be God, what am I saying? I'm saying God should be blessed. I'm saying God ought to be blessed. I'm saying you ought to bless God. I'm saying Bless God. Blessed be God. That's a command, although we're not used to seeing it in that, in that form. So God's, Peter is commanding us, bless God. And, and to bless God means we praise him. It means we speak well of him. We exalt him. We say we love you. We adore you. We magnify you. You are glorious. Thank you. Oh, church, something so 
powerful happens in the human soul when you talk directly to God and say, I love you. You are my prize. You are my joy. Thank you for Jesus. Because that's what you were made to do is to worship. And when you worship, you are moving into what you were created to do and something powerful happens to you. And that is what Peter is commanding us to do in this passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 3 starts off with a command. And since that's the only command in the passage, that makes it the, the main point of the passage. So here's the main point. We should bless and worship Bless and praise, whatever words you want to use, God. That's what we should do. That's the command. Now, the next question we need to ask is, how does the rest of this passage explain the main command, the main point, or support the main point? Remember, we've been talking these last few weeks that in teaching passages like this, everything in the passage is either the main point or it's something that explains the main point or gives a reason for the main point. Everything else in the passage is either the main point or an explanation or a reason. So everything else in this passage is either going to explain what it means to bless God or it's going to give us reasons to bless God. So, is the rest of verse 3 an explanation of what it means to bless God or is it a reason for why we should bless God? And what helps me to figure this out is just to try them both in, in, in the passage to see which makes the most sense. So come along with me as I'm going to try this. Let's start with, does verse 3b, the second half of verse 3, give a reason for why we should bless God? Let's read verse 3. You'll see it up on the screen where I've added in some words to show that we're talking about it as a reason. See if this makes sense. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's my additions. And the reason we should bless God is because... According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Does it make sense to say, bless God because he's caused us to be born again to a living hope? Yes. That makes very good sense. Okay, well, what about an explanation? Does that make just as good sense? Let's try that one next. So does 3b, the second half of verse 3, give an explanation? Does it work as an explanation? Let's see what you think. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the words I added in to show that we're making this an explanation. And what it means to bless God is that according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That does not make sense. It doesn't make sense to say, bless God, and what it means to bless God is he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. That doesn't work. So this is a reason. The second half of verse 3 is a reason. You're all looking like you're... Are, are we getting this? <laughs> I sure hope so. Okay. Keep thinking about it. We're asking, is it a reason or is it an explanation? And a reason works best. Explanation just doesn't work. So the rest of verse 3 tells us why we should bless God and worship God. And, and again, it's crucial to get the reasons here. How often do you not feel like worshiping, blessing, praising God. I mean, that, we all struggle with that, right? So what do you do at those times? You look at the reasons here. Peter, tell me why. Why should I bless and praise God? And you read over these reasons, and the Holy Spirit will use those reasons to change your heart so you want to start worshiping Him. So that's why it's crucial to see the reasons. 
So the rest of verse 3 is a reason, and in fact, as I read the rest of this passage, I saw that the rest of this passage gives us seven reasons. You need, one's not enough. If you need seven, we got seven reasons here for why we should bless, praise, adore, love God for what he's done. So let's just go through these reasons one at a time, one through seven. The first reason it's because he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. That's the rest of verse 3. Let's read it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, what does it mean to be born again to a living hope? Peter says, bless God because he's caused you to be born again to a living hope. What does it mean to be born again to a living hope? Well, think about it like this. Before you were saved, your heart was not interested in God. You're not interested in Jesus. And so you were finding your hope in everything else except for God and Jesus. All the other different kinds of things you were hoping in. And, and the problem is, is, if you were honest, is that not only do those things not satisfy you in this life, I mean, how many hopes have you put your hope in that ended up like, oh, right? I mean, like dozens, hundreds, thousands, right? But not only are they disappointing in this life, when you die, they're gone. And then there's eternity, and well, what's that going to be about? So that's why Peter, or Paul calls us, he says that we were without hope in the world. That's a phrase Paul uses in the book of Ephesians. So we, were, we had like just dead hope, weren't fulfilling and wouldn't last because death was going to be the end. That's the condition we were in before God saved us. But when God saved us, he caused us to be born again to a living hope. Being born again means that God supernaturally changed our hearts. We were not interested in God, no interested in Jesus, and God in his mercy because of what Jesus did on the cross changed our hearts. So we owned up to the truth of Jesus Christ. Remember that day? For the first time, I was like, Jesus, why haven't I paid any attention to you? You are glorious. You are real. You came into history, you worked miracles, you died on the cross to pay for sin, you rose from the dead, you're alive now forevermore, your glory and beauty is what will satisfy my heart forever. When God caused you to be born again, he changed your heart so you owned up to the truth of Jesus and as a result of that, you turned from your sin and you trusted Jesus, you loved Jesus, you lived for Jesus, you were born again. That's what it means to be born again, the supernatural transformation that God brought about by his mercy through what Jesus would do on the cross. So you were born again and as a result, you had living hope. Now, why does Peter call it living hope? I think there's two reasons. See if this makes sense to you. One reason is because this hope is alive in us. That is, this hope of being with Jesus forever, beholding him, loving him, fellowshipping with him, your God, your Savior, your friend, your Lord, your Master Jesus, that, that hope is so powerful that it makes you alive inside. It's not like a, like a dead hope, like, eh. It's like, yes! And it fills you. It energizes you. It invigorates you. It comforts you. It strengthens you. 
It's living hope. So one of the reasons he calls it living hope is because it is alive in your heart. It's like, yes, I'm hoping. This is going to be awesome. It's living hope. It's also living hope, I think, because of that last phrase, according to the, uh, the resurrection of the dead, uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's not just living in you. It's alive in Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is never going to die again. He is fully God, fully man. He is alive forevermore. And when you hope in him, he will always be there. He will never leave you, never fail you, never disappoint you. So that hope is living because Jesus is alive. So do you see the two senses in which this is living hope? It's alive in you. You're feeling it. And it's living because it's based on Jesus who will be alive forevermore. So God caused you to be born again to a living hope. Therefore, bless the Lord. Praise God. Thank you for what you've done. That's the first reason we should bless God. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Second reason, it's because this hope will never disappoint us. Never disappoint you. There is no other hope that can say that. You know that by experience. This hope, his hope, Jesus, will never disappoint us. Look at verse 4. We're born again to, and he puts a different word here for it, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So here Peter calls this hope an inheritance. You know what an inheritance is. Like you have a rich uncle who leaves you a lot of money, something like that. But for us, because Jesus died on the cross to pay for sin, and because you're trusting in him, you are completely forgiven, you receive the presence of God by the Holy Spirit now, and you're given an inheritance in heaven that's yours. It is there. And notice how Peter describes this inheritance. He says it's imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading. What does it mean that it's imperishable? See, every other hope, every other inheritance is perishable. The movie wasn't that good. You know, the trailers didn't really, they kind of lied about it. Uh, the new car, that's just no longer quite as exciting as it was a year ago, right? Now it's just a place, way to get to point A to point B. The vacation ended. We're flying home or we're driving home now, right? So every other hope and inheritance uh, is perishable. Well, like, you know, you have a tomato, put it out in the hot Abu Dhabi sun. What's going to happen after a couple of days? That's called perishable, okay? And that's what happens to every other hope or, or inheritance that we have. All other hopes or inheritances are defiled, which means that as you continue to hope in them and experience them, you end up finding something that's not quite right. I don't, this isn't right. This doesn't work. Like, I just thought of some examples, like the friendship. Ah, they do something hurtful. You get hurt by this friendship. The new hobby, that starts costing a lot of money. Or your joy of long-distance running. It's like, what's wrong with my knees all of a sudden, right? So all other hopes and inheritances are defiled. And all other hopes and inheritances are fading. Fading. I thought about my first car. Uh, I drove a beautiful, bright, yellow Volkswagen bug, okay? Bright, bright yellow. But the problem was that it was a very cheap paint job. And after about 
a month or two, it moved from being a beautiful, bright yellow to being a dull, ugly, barely yellow, okay? Every other inheritance, every other hope is fading. I mean, you've experienced this, right? It starts off and then goes, I need something else, right? Not the case here. This living hope, this inheritance of everlasting joy in the presence of Jesus, it's imperishable. It will never disappoint you. Never. It's undefiled. You'll never discover anything in Jesus that's not beautiful, glorious, loving, good, heart-satisfying. Never any, there's, there's no flaw in Jesus Christ. He is perfect, undefiled, and then it's unfading. You will never be bored in heaven. Why not? Eternity is a long time. What are we going to do? Well, think about it. God's glory is infinite. And inf- we're talking about infinite, right? Infinite. No limit, no end. And God's glory is, just shines through Jesus. And what that means is that forever you're going to be stunned at the glory of God displayed in Jesus. That means after you've been in heaven for 10,000 years, you'll still be saying, whoa, you are glorious. After 50 billion years, amazing. Blessed be the Lord. Look at who you are. 500 billion, trillion, zillion years. Yes, glory to you. Do you see? Forever. Unfading. Unfading. But that's only true of this hope, this inheritance. Whatever else you're hoping in now, whatever else you're trusting in to secure, satisfy you in the future, it will be perishable, defiled, and fading. Only this hope is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Which is why we say, blessed be God for causing us to be born again to this living hope. Are you feeling the reasons? Man. And that's only the second one. Okay, let's go on to the third one. Because God guards us for this hope through faith. Verse 5. Who, speaking of us who've been saved, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now here, Peter calls this living hope, this inheritance, a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He's just giving different words for the same thing. And he says that God guards us for this salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He he guards us for this. We're guarded by God's power through faith. And why do we need to be guarded? It's because the, the road to heaven is long and hard. And because the indwelling sin that's still in us, we've been saved, but we still have indwelling sin, the sin that's in us keeps trying to pull us off the road to heaven onto the road to hell. Right? And you, you feel that, don't you? But the good news is that through faith, God's power guards us. So nothing can move us off the road to heaven, not even us. Because when we start to drift, he's going to bring his power upon us, convict us, bring us back. This last week, I forget what day it was, but I, I, I got some news that was uh, disappointing, discouraging to me. 
And, uh, and I, I could feel, that's unbelief. I'm not trusting the Lord when that happens. That's sin, right? We can pretty it up, but that's, just, that's sin. Discouragement, it's sin. And I could feel my sin trying to pull me off the road, right? Just it's growing, just discouragement pulling me off the road. Okay, but, but God gave me grace to, to stand up from my desk, walk around my office a little bit, and I, I started to, to preach to myself Psalm 34, verse 10. Those who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. So I prayed. I said, I need you to, I've been studying this passage. I need you to pull me back on the road now. I'm, my heart's pulling me off. I'm, 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 I'm a little bit bitter about this. I'm a little bit angry about this, discouraged about it. You're in control of everything, God. You've promised to give me every good thing. I'm seeking you right now. You've promised to give me every good thing. So even though this feels disappointing to me, Lord, I know I know it's a good thing from you, ultimately. I can trust you. It's, it's a good thing that you're doing here because everything you do for your children is good. So I just prayed. Help me to trust you. Strengthen me. Keep me on the road to heaven. And as I prayed this verse and a couple other scriptures, I could feel the Holy Spirit strengthen my faith, pull me back onto the road to heaven. And that's what Peter's talking about. We're guarded by the power of God through faith. He keeps us on the road. And so here's the third reason we should bless God is because His power will guard us for this hope through faith. Here's what this means. If you are trusting Jesus Christ right now as your Lord and as your Savior and as your treasure, if you're trusting Him, you might, might be saying, I believe, but help my unbelief. I've, but you want to be freed from sin, you're not perfect, but you're trusting him, then you can be absolutely 100% certain that he will keep you on the road to heaven all the way to heaven. There's no question about it. He won't let anything move you off the road to heaven to the road to hell, and he won't even let you move yourself off the road to heaven to the road to hell because he's going to change your heart, he's going to convict you of that sin, he's going to bring you back just like he did with me this last week. So what that means is if you're trusting Jesus Christ right now, you know for sure that a hundred years from now, that's where you're going to be, before Jesus Christ, beholding his glory, seeing him say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. You're going to see that. You're going to experience it. That's where you're going to be because you're trusting Christ. Are you trusting Christ? Are you trusting him? Look at him. Look at his love for you. Look at the cross. Look at the resurrection. Look at God's mercy. Trust him. You have every reason to. That's the third reason. Because God guards us for this hope through faith. Fourth reason. This hope gives us joy even during trials. Look at uh, verse 6, but start at the end of verse 5. A salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary... You have been grieved by various trials. So notice that followers of Jesus grieve over trials. Please don't think that if you are really a really strong Christian, you'll never grieve. That's just not the case. Paul says we grieve. Paul wept. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. We grieve. But notice that we also rejoice. Okay, both those happen at the same time. We, we grieve and rejoice. And what do we rejoice in? He says, in this. 
crucial part of Bible study is to figure out what is the this referring to, and you want to look at the closest previous words that make sense. So in this, what is it that we rejoice in? In this salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. That's what we rejoice in. It's our living hope. It's our inheritance, even though we're now grieved by various trials. Now notice this joy isn't in place of the grief. It comes alongside the grief. Grief and joy coexist in the lives of followers of Jesus. You've experienced this, haven't you? We talk about happy tears sometimes. That's, that's what's going on. So it's not that Christians just are always grief-less and always full of joy. We are filled with joy, but we also sorrow. That happens often. So here's the question. What do you do when you're grieving over a trial? When you're grieving over a problem at school? Maybe one of your teachers is not being fair, or maybe a, one of your friends is now kind of rejecting you. What do you do when you, when you grieve over a trial? What do you do when you start to hear about rumors of contracts not being renewed? What do you do? What do you do when you get sick, or just something in your life doesn't go the way you were hoping it would go? What do you do? I mean, honestly, what, what do you do at those times? We all have those times. What do you do? What Peter says we should do is take time to think about this salvation ready to be revealed at the last time because in that, we will rejoice. See how that works? He wants us to think about the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time because in that, no matter what our loss is, no matter what our suffering is, no matter what our grief is, that is so beautiful, so real, so certain that we will rejoice alongside the, the grieving. So what we should do is take out our Bibles and, and open up maybe to this passage or to other passages which talk about that salvation ready to be revealed and read about them. Like maybe open up to Revelation 21 Read about how God will dwell in our midst and he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. That's going to happen to you 100 years from now, okay? Or read Matthew 25 about how God will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Right? Read about this inheritance, this salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Read about what heaven is like. And as you do that, the Holy Spirit will take those words and comfort your heart, fill your heart, strengthen your heart, delight your heart. And you will rejoice even though you're grieved by various trials. Isn't that encouraging? So that's the fourth reason we should bless and worship God. It's because this hope gives us joy even while we grieve over trials. It's an amazing thing to think that no matter what sorrows you ever face in this life, you have a joy <clears throat> that will give you joy even in that, that grief and that sorrow. It's the joy of being with Jesus Christ forever. You have a joy that you can turn to and you will rejoice while you're grieving. It's so encouraging. Fifth reason. This hope gives our trials a glorious purpose. Now you can see that in verse 7. But read verses 6 and 7 to get the flow of thought. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various 
trials, and here's why we are grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now notice those two words, so that. Because you're trusting Jesus, none of your trials are meaningless or purposeless or just like random, like bad luck. In fact, we should just banish the word, Grace Church, let's banish the word luck from our vocabulary, okay? We should say, talk about God's providence, God's sovereignty. Nothing is random for followers of Jesus Christ. Everything has meaning. Every trial has a so that. There's, there's a purpose to it. It's a so that. They all have a God-given purpose. And what that purpose is, is to purify our faith so we give even more glory and praise and honor to Jesus Christ forever. That's the purpose for every trial. God has other purposes for trials as well, but that's one of them. And that's the one that Peter highlights here. So how do trials purify our faith? Here's an illustration I heard years ago that's really helped me. Picture yourself as a peer stretching out over the ocean. You all know about peers, P-I-E-R. Is that how you spell it? I think, hope that's right. Okay, so picture a peer stretching out over the ocean and every peer rests on pilings, right? And that's, that's you stretching out over this water and you're resting on pilings like job. You're resting your security on health, maybe on friends. Okay, so you're a peer and you're resting all these different pilings. Then storm surf comes in, big winter surf comes in and starts to shake those pilings. Trials come and shake those pilings. That's hard, you're feeling insecure. But then a friend comes and shares with you the good news of Jesus Christ, the super piling. Jesus is a massive piling. Thick, concrete, absolutely immovable, unshakable. And he died on the cross to pay for the sins of all who would trust him. So when you trust him, receive him into your life, you're completely forgiven and you can rest your life on this Big super piling. So you do, you put your trust in Jesus. That's good. Now you still have some weight though on health and on friends and on job, right? But, but mostly you're resting on the super piling and then in mercy God allows some storm surf to come in and maybe your doctor says, uh, you need to come in, we need some further tests and that piling of health starts to shake and you're reminded, that's right, health isn't gonna last forever. I'm going to take my trust out of that and just put it all the more onto Jesus. And that's refined your faith. You're trusting more in Jesus Christ now. See how that works? Or maybe you, your, your boss says, uh, this company may not be lasting very much longer. You might be starting to look elsewhere. And the super piling of, or no, not the super piling, the other piling of your job starts to shake. Well, that really isn't secure and you're reminded, that's right, jobs aren't going to last forever. I should put my trust all the more in Jesus Christ, the super piling. And so your faith is refined, pulled out of health, put upon Jesus. Pulled out of job, put upon Jesus. And the more refined your faith is, the more glory and praise you will display, more of Jesus' glory and praise you will display in heaven. And the more you display his glory, the more joy you will have. And so as our trials are, as trials refine our faith now, that makes us so that we will be displaying Jesus' glory more, which means we're gonna have even more joy forever, which means that every trial is going to bring you more joy forever. So that. That's what's being talked about here. So this living hope does regarding our trials. 
So that's the fifth reason we should praise God for this living hope, because it gives our trials a glorious purpose. And some of you need to hear this right now. You're going through a deep trial, heartbreaking trial, and you need to understand God and His love and His mercy has a purpose for this. Great joy is coming to you as you seek His face, rest on Him, cry out to Him, even in the grief, rejoicing in Him, trusting in Him, faith being refined, joy forever, glorifying Christ. That's the purpose. Be encouraged. Sixth reason. It's because this hope gives us heaven's joys now. Verse 8, Peter tells us what this living hope feels like now, before we're there. Though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So see, it's not that Christians are all just waiting for, this is what we say in the U.S., pie in the sky by and by. You understand that one? Okay, well, it's the U.S., sorry, but the idea is, it's not like we're just hungry here, and won't that pie be great? We're just waiting here, nothing now, just looking forward to the future pie. That The pie is there, but God takes a slice of that pie, and he gives it to us now. Taste this. Awesome, isn't it? That's heaven. It's real, and that's what's being described here. God gives us times when we open up the scriptures, when we seek his face, when we worship with God's people like this morning, when we're in our home group, he will give us times where we have a taste of heaven's joys. Oh, and there's, there's nothing like that taste of heaven's joys. It's the joy of Jesus' glory, beholding him. Let me tell you how David Brainerd experienced something like this. David Brainerd, you're asking, who is that? Um, one of the first missionaries to the Native American Indians. This is in the 1700s, as a 20-something-year-old guy, he wrote a journal, and here's one of his journal entries from 1742. Tuesday, April 27th, I took some time for private devotions, and in prayer, God poured such comforts into my soul that I could do nothing but say over and over, Oh, my sweet Savior. Oh, my sweet Savior. If I had had a thousand lives, my soul would gladly have laid them all down at once to have been with Christ. Be glad to go home right now. My soul never enjoyed so much of heaven before. Joys of heaven, right there. It was the most pure and spiritual time of communion with God I have known so far. That's the sixth reason. We should bless God for causing us to be born again to this living hope. It's because this living hope gives us joy now. It gives us heaven's joys now. Okay, one last reason, maybe the most important one. Seventh reason is because this living hope involves the salvation of our souls. Verse 9, the outcome of all of this is that we are obtaining the outcome of your faith. You are obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. When God causes you to be born again to a living hope, he's giving you the salvation of your soul. I just let that phrase rest upon us. This is, this is massively important. 
and some of you especially need to hear this this morning. Nothing is more important than the salvation of your soul. Nothing. We've all sinned against God. By nature, by choice, every one of us in this room, we've all sinned against God, which means we face his judgment forever. And so, so let it sink in. You're going to live forever. And if you're not saved, if your soul isn't saved, it's going to not be in the joys of heaven. It's going to be in the, the horrors of hell. That's why you desperately need to have your soul be saved. You need the salvation of your soul. And every one of us in this room either has had our soul saved or not. It's very obvious. It's one or the other. There's no gray area in between. That's one of the reasons we bless God because through being born again to a living hope through Jesus Christ, we've obtained the salvation of our, of our soul. See, the beautiful news is no matter how far you might feel from God, no matter how little faith you feel like you might have, God can cause you to be born again. He can change your heart so that you own up to the truth of Jesus, so that your faith rises, so that your hope in him fills, so that you love Jesus, so that you turn to Jesus and trust him to forgive you and change you and satisfy you, and he will. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if your soul hasn't been saved, turn to Jesus Christ right now. You've seen his love displayed in this passage. You've seen his beauty illustrated in this text. You have every reason to turn to him and trust him. He died on the cross to pay for sins. He rose from the dead. He's our living hope. He's going to be alive forevermore. He will never disappoint us. And you have every reason to put your trust in him. And so trust him right now. Trust him to forgive you. He will for all your sins. Trust him to change you. He'll start to change your heart. Trust him to satisfy you. He'll pour God's love into your heart and you'll be satisfied. So if you've not obtained the salvation of your soul, trust Jesus Christ right now. He's standing before you with open arms. He's saying, come, just as you are, you come to me. I will change you. I will forgive you. I'll do all the heavy lifting. You come. So all you gotta do is just come. Say, I need you, help, and he'll say yes. So that's my word to those of you who have not yet obtained the salvation of your soul. And then my word to those of you who have obtained the salvation of your soul is bless God. Worship God. Praise God. Do you see what your life, what this means for your life? You are going to be in the presence of God through Jesus Christ with your heart filled with joy in knowing him, ever-increasing joy, never fading, never boring, ever-increasing joy forever. And that is secured for you through the cross of Jesus Christ. And his power is going to keep you on the road to heaven. Your, your future is set. It is set. And with that rock-solid foundation, our hearts should just erupt in praise and just say, blessed be God the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope and we have obtained the salvation of our souls. Let's stand together. I want to pray for us. God, I pray that you would bring your power upon us right now and use your word to change hearts here. I pray for hearts 
of those people who've not obtained the salvation of their souls yet, I pray that you bring your power upon them right now and that they would know that this is true, that you'd remove the blinders of, of pride and of excuses, whatever else it might be, thinking that they're too bad or that they're, they're good enough, they don't need this, whatever it might be, Lord, right now convict them of your love, salvation that's available in Jesus, and that you're calling them to come and to trust Jesus. Right now, Lord, I pray that many here would start to trust you right now at this very moment. And I pray, Lord, that you'd work in, in all those who have obtained the salvation of their souls, that we would worship you, that we would love you, honor you, live for you, delight in your glory. So pour this out upon us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen.